podcast. Hello, listeners. I'm Zach, and I'm Valina, and we're just a couple of horror fans making a horror podcast. Welcome to this house was never meant to be a podcast. We're going to be covering all of the horror anthology shows that we can get our hands on, and today we will be continuing with Tales from the Dark Side with the episode "The Tear Collector." Now, this episode was actually based on a short story written by Donald Olson. The story was actually published in the Twilight Zone magazine in 1981, and he hasn't really done too much. Like, he did a couple, at least according to the Internet Speculative Science Fiction Database. He's not really done a whole lot of only science fiction and fantasy, but this one got made into an episode of a television show, which is pretty cool, right? Mm-hmm. And this episode was directed by John Drimmer, who helped write the teleplay. And it's kind of interesting to note that this guy hasn't been the director before of any of these episodes. I don't actually mention all the directors of each of these episodes, except occasionally. But John Drimmer here is notable because of how very different the direction of this episode is. Mm-hmm. As you'll soon see, it's very melodramatic and it has, it, it's very, so much of it screams like soap opera or, you know, mm-hmm. like daytime television soap opera kind of thing. It, it's very different and strange. Which is just kind of funny that he wrote the teleplay and is also directing it. And he has got just a wildly different style from the rest of the show. It's very different. And it's not scary, but it's not really meant to be. Mm-hmm. It's just very odd. Yeah, and I would like to add to that, that it really does feel like that. Despite the music, which isn't super close to soap opera music, it does have the look of a soap opera. Hardcore. Yeah, and so I've heard, uh, I can't really confirm this because I've never really watched the show on television, like, as it premiered or anything. I've ever really watched it on these DVDs. Except for, like, two whole episodes I saw forever ago, and I believe they were part of, like, a rerun thing. But a lot of the music, apparently has been replaced like the original music that it aired with is not the same music that they use on the actual dvd collection which might have to do with licensing issues Hmm. which is very funny because there's a lot of times this episode as well where the music does not feel natural to what you're watching i know a few episodes back i want to say mookie and pookie the music was very unfitting for what you were actually watching and this one has it too there's certain scenes where the music just does not match. And after learning that the music that they used in the DVD collection isn't the same as what they showed when it came out, it makes me wonder whether or not the music was actually more fitting initially. Hmm. Because there's certain scenes, it's like, why the heck are they playing that music? And I guess it's just because they were playing different music and they wanted to use their own Tales from the Dark Side stock music and they just threw that in instead, whether or not it was actually fitting for the scene and whether or not that actually changes what mood you're supposed to be feeling. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit of an interesting note. Yeah, so that is also one of the bigger gripes that I had with the episode is randomly the music just isn't fitting. But knowing that that's not necessarily our version of the episode's fault, it makes me wonder what the music for this episode would have sounded like back in the day. That's fine, because we know exactly what kind of music it would have played. And it would have probably sounded a little something like this. 
I'd say that's pretty spot on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that is basically the feel of this episode. And even though that song did not show up, it was there in our hearts. We were immensely projecting that music into this episode because it deserved to be there. Absolutely. So, Zachy, tell me, how does this plot unfold? So, the episode opens on a... What's the name of that piece of furniture you apply makeup on specifically? Is it like an armoire? Or no, like... I think it's called a vanity. Oh, that's what it's called, a vanity. It opens up on a vanity that is... And I kid you not, coated in all sorts of different makeup and what looks like a lot of nail polish. Mm -hmm. And it opens with narration from our main character. We find out later her name is Prudence. Yes, and she's actually played by Jessica Harper. And she's played in a lot of things. Most notably, both Suspirias, uh, both the original and the remake. I've not watched that. I do plan to because it looks kind of awesome. Or both of them, really, because they, they both look freaking cool and, like, creepy. But in the older version, the original, she played Susie. She played Susie. And in the new one, she played someone called Anka? A-N-K-E? I'm going to pronounce it Anka. Uh, so she's in both of those. And she also played Annie in The Minority Report. And she played a lady named Janet in Shock Treatment, which I haven't seen. I have actually seen The Minority Report, which was actually really good. It's not what you think it is. The, the word Minority Report, it makes you think of, like, paperwork or something. Like, it makes you think of something boring. It's like this kind of sci-fi whodunit movie, almost. And it's actually much more exciting than the word report makes you think. But, yeah, she was in that. So... And she's in like a lot more things, but these are the things that I found most notable, anyhow. Mm -hmm. So she starts her monologue like, I can't go on a date like this. Nobody would ever want to date somebody who cries this much. And like, <laughs> and of course it shows you her crying. She's not in the frame, but it shows the desk, or the vanity, and a singular tear falls on the hand mirror that's on the desk and then we sh see prudence in the vanity's mirror crying and monologuing to herself until she says a line and then it goes back to her monologuing in her head again yeah it's a really weird setup because then there's like when it goes back to the monologue it actually breaks to this kind of moment where she's walking around a birdcage thinking about how she wishes she could be happy, but but she was walking around this bird cage, and she's thinking about and see she's thinking about it even in her like little memory. She's not talking aloud; she's just thinking that some people are built different. They just feel too much, and she's dressed in different clothing. So this isn't happening like later, and maybe it could have been happening earlier. I'm not really sure. But she's just cir circling around the bird cage, and she's wearing like this gray overcoat for some reason inside the house. And the bird is fake. Oh, yeah. And I cannot actually tell whether or not it's intended to be taken as a real bird or if it is supposed to be, like, a fake bird she has in her house. It's really difficult to tell because 
for example, in Snip Snip, they did have a real bird, which they, for some reason, occasionally also used a fake bird. A fake bird for long distance shots. Yeah, so it was a bit weird, but clearly it was intended to be a real bird. Yeah, because like, they the, don't want the animal handler on set all day. They don't yeah. Need, like, if they don't need the bird, they're not going to use it. Yeah, but they, but it is intended to be a real bird, and mm. it's, a, it's a character in and of itself. This bird is just used there for this scene, and it is not only just, like, obviously fake, but the bird cage feels obviously fake. Like, there's... The perch that the bird is on is, like, got these, like, fake flowers wrapped around it that wouldn't really stay for very long if you had a real bird. I used to have a bird, and he would tear at that. Like, there's no way. Birds he are would, destructive. Yeah, he would just tear it apart because he, he can. And most importantly, though, there's no food or water in that... <laughs> in the cage like and it's just barren least realistic of all the bottom of the cage is crystal clean yeah so it's i don't know if it's supposed to be a real bird or not so it's just kind of weird it's just a weird detail and i don't understand why they had a break to this scene during her monologue she only says a few sentences before it goes back to her being in on the vanity so it, it's just very bizarre a very odd way of beginning this yes it is a very odd way to begin it, especially with such an important close-up on that bird when it is clearly not a real thing. Mm -hmm. Like, you can see the line where the head connects to the body, and you can almost see that there's a wire in that stand that it's standing on that allows the puppeteer to kind of turn its head. I mean, <laughs> maybe they're trying to make some sort of a weird metaphor about, like, caged bird. But is, is a caged bird even really caged if the bird is fake? <laughs> <laughs> this, this is the show where we're going to be asking the hard-hitting questions. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't think you were going to be getting, like, a Philosophy 460 class today, were you? <laughs> oh, but no. After she does her little monologue talking about, like, oh, that she was born different and... Maybe she was never really meant to be happy because she was just, she just feels too much. <laughs> it's immediately contrasted by her roommate, who is, I, the best way I can describe it is she is fed up with this. Not to like an angry level, just kind of a, to a mild frustration. Come on, does everything have to be a tragedy with you? That is an actual line from it that uh, her roommate Gretchen, you also find out a little bit later, <laughs> that's her name. She's the logical character in this, where everyone else is driven by irrational passion or whatever. She's just the one that's firmly planted on the ground, just thinking, you know? <laughs> Yeah, like, she's, I mean, on one hand, I would say she's kind of insensitive to her friend's depression. And that's weird. I mean, it's, it's not really depression, necessarily. She simply wants to cry 24-7. And I, mm -hmm. I don't know if I would necessarily call that depression. I mean, maybe, because she says everything's a tragedy with you. So, all we see out of Prudence is that she cries all the time. But it's really hard to see much deeper than that mm -hmm. like she says she doesn't feel happy and she wants to be happy uh but she doesn't necessarily also say she's miserable you know it, it's it's odd but clearly it is affecting her life like she doesn't want to date people because she just wants to cry she knows yeah. that people aren't gonna like her if she's crying all the time she has a debilitating addiction to crying yeah it's it's more like that like i don't know it's just odd i think probably it'd be logical to say she's depressed 
but from what we see, an addiction to crying is what it actually seemed like. Yeah, because, like, depression is being without energy, without the motive or want to be able to do anything because you simply feel like you don't have the ability to do anything. And that's not what Prudence has. Prudence seems to have more of an addiction to crying and possibly just feeling upset and that just randomly happens to her and she cries a lot but I feel like it's not necessarily depression though that addiction seems to be getting in the way of other things yeah and I think honestly the main reason for that is that we don't see any particular cause and we don't necessarily see her ruminating on anything Mm -hmm. you know we don't spend a whole lot of time seeing her necessarily feel miserable just crying and feeling bad that she is crying but not feeling bad about anything in particular like if you're depressed you might feel really bad about yourself because Mm -hmm. like i have no personality or i'm worthless or whatever she doesn't necessarily feel anything outside of the self-consciousness that she's crying all the time but the crying in and of itself doesn't seem to have any actual source other than the need to cry yeah it's like the the chicken or the egg kind of dilemma right like did she start feeling bad and then started crying relentlessly and then that led into a cycle or did she start did she simply cry a lot without being sad and then become sad because of how much she started crying and then that just cycles into that yeah so the, the episode in general doesn't really want to go too deeply into her psychology other than her just a sort of broad idea of sadness in general and i think that's actually intentional when you consider the episode's message yeah but we'll get there so gretchen hooked up prudence on a blind double date which it's not explicitly stated that it's a double date that the both of them are on a blind date gretchen is on a date at the same time as Prudence, but Prudence is on a blind date. So I'm assuming that Gretchen hooked Prudence up with a blind date and the date is a double date. Yeah, because they're both getting ready. So Gretchen's also getting ready. She's got her, she's trying to put her earrings on. She tells Prudence to uh, put makeup on. She's like, hey, if you look good, you'll feel good. Which, I mean, that's kind of a good philosophy sometimes they say like if you're feeling bad dress yourself up and try to do stuff to make yourself like look better because you'll feel better i'm not actually sure that's true i've never once tried this for myself but i have heard that before so at least gretchen tried but yeah it doesn't work because she just gets upset and she doesn't try though that's the big thing well she was sitting like at the vanity she was just crying over all the makeup though it just didn't really work for her she would honestly probably cry the makeup off so it'd probably be best if she didn't put it on Mm -hmm. i mean unless she had some real good waterproof makeup which i don't know if gretchen has i think there's a scene later on that proves she's got amazing waterproof makeup (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so what ends up happening is that Prudence says, like, oh, I felt sad my whole life and yada yada. And then Gretchen tells her that, yeah, you don't have to see everything as a tragedy. And Prudence is like, do you think I like feeling like this? Yes. (laughs) That is literally what Gretchen says. It's so mean. Like, (laughs) 
Like, like just, just, just such a mean thing to say. And, of course, Prudence runs off in tears towards the bathroom, and Gretchen, like, gets all angry at her. But it's just such a telling kind of moment. Like, she's so fed up with her crying all the time and thinks she actually likes it. And it's, like I said, it's very mean. But on one hand, it's also kind of not funny on part of, of poor Prudence. It's just a kind of good way of showing how Gretchen is. Like, mm -hmm. there are certain things that you can just That's do to set up a character, and that was just kind of a, a good one. I mean... Brutally honest. Yeah. It's, it's just kind of nice to have things set up that we can see it unfold ourselves, as opposed to, like, the last episode, where we would just have the main character tell us what her personality was, as opposed to actually getting to see it. Please don't remind me of that episode. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they actually allowed us to figure it out for ourselves that they were on a blind double date. As opposed to somebody just blurting it all out in detail. Like, we actually got to infer that from how the both ladies were behaving. And the fact that one of them said it was a blind date. We and got then, to piece things together with our two neurons. <laughs> That's all we have left after that one. Yeah. So, Prudence... Uh, time jump. Prudence is walking down the sidewalk in the middle of the rain. And there's this crazed homeless guy who's just digging through the trash and that he knows what they're up to and he keeps repeating like I know what they're up to I'm gonna, they know <laughs> and then she almost kind of glances at him and he notices this <laughs> and he charges her I say you're looking at me you think I'm crazy don't you and she's just very passively is like no get away from me and I don't remember what prompts her to do this what from what he says but he says something and it's like you want to help me don't you you want to help me right yeah and then she just, she like, just Leave pulls me alone. out a and lot then... of cash and she just slaps it in his hand mm -hmm. it's not in her purse it is a fat wad of cash that she had in her pocket while she was carrying her purse I mean it's probably in her wallet though like it it would be completely it was in her pocket no no she pulled it out of her purse she Did reached she... into her purse and pulled that out so she was she probably just had inside. loose change just floating it could have pocket. been in her wallet we couldn't see she has a humongous purse it was hard to see her hand doing anything inside the purse the chances are she just pulled it i thought it was just a quick wallet. just kind of like in out kind mm -hmm. of huh <laughs> well then oh i do want to mention something this is kind of funny the guy who plays the, the uh he's he's listed as the, a junkie that's eric bogo i'm gonna just mispronounce this eric bogo bogosian um bogosian he's actually been in a lot of things he was i guess arno in uncut gems he played in a lot of things like i mean he was even in elementary the good wife he's been in a lot of things uh, he actually even played in Blade Trinity, which is a movie I actually did watch. So he's actually been a frick ton of things for like a two-second cameo. cameo in this. He's He has been in a ton, which is kind of funny because Gretchen, she's played by Linda Lee Johnson. This is like the only thing on her IMDb page. So mm. it's, I don't know, just kind of surprising, I guess. So I thought that was an interesting note. Yeah. And... The homeless guy, and, and I love the double entendre of junkie. <laughs> him literally digging through the trash. He shouts at her after she runs down the sidewalk. You're a very sensitive person. And I'm thinking, like, generous, I would have imagined, would be the word you would use. Sensitive? Why that one? 
Except for the fact that she cries a lot, which I don't think she cried while she handed him the money, I don't think. Well, it's hard to tell because I do believe when the, the camera zooms in on her, she her face is wet. But it's also raining. But she's got an umbrella, so if anything should be dry, it should be your face. mugged by a dude well, who, wasn't, who wasn't, like, with an umbrella and swinging his arms around and stuff. He, he could have splashed her with some water on his arms. But the point of it is she's probably crying because she's always crying. And, the t- uh-huh. and her face was, like, streaked with tears and, like, not speckled with rain, you know? So she, she was clearly crying. And I don't know if she was crying beforehand because, it's, I mean... I think she's literally always shown with tears. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, she was definitely crying. So as she runs down the sidewalk, she is stopped by a dude in a suit. And the music swells up. So we know that this is an important person. And this guy looks at her. And the first thing that comes out of his mouth is, Your tears are beautiful. And just like that, you know we've met the man who is the title of this episode. Our titular character, the Tear Collector. Yes. He, no joke, hands her a business card to... He he asks her, I I want you to visit me. So he can collect her tears. (laughs) As far as we know from the episode title. He doesn't explicitly state that, but... We all know what it is. He's the tear collector. Yes, card says Ambrose... Cavender Collector. One Wellington Place. And that's a fun little detail we'll get to really quickly with the location. He takes off in this... I'm surprised it's actually red, looking at the kind of color symbolism that's in the episode. But it's like a red 40s car. Like, similar to something Cruella de Vil would drive. And it has a license plate that reads Tears. And it's just Tears, like fully spelled, no extra lettering in there to make it seven digits, like every license plate number. It's just Tears. And that's the end of that scene. And boy, does that leave an impression with the Tear Collector just right off the bat. Just doesn't even say hi, doesn't even ask, were you mugged? Can I help you? Nothing. It's, your tears are beautiful. (laughs) And that's just such an amazing conversation starter. Just an absolute icebreaker. Once you throw that question out there, you know them now. It's it's just an absolutely amazing way to start a, a relationship. He also knows her name. Oh! He calls her by first name the second he sees her. Which should kind of give you some kind of warning that something's up. Oh, also, and this is one important thing because I watched very, very carefully. He doesn't blink. He doesn't blink this entire episode. I didn't even notice it. There is one moment, actually two moments, where he closes his eyes, which might be mistaken for a blink. But it is how he is speaking that kind of calls for him to shut his eyes momentarily to sort of show sympathy or sorrow or whatever, but it's not really blinking, like the human Mm. need to shut your eyes like for a split second. It is purposely and consciously shutting his eyes. And in this entire scene, he does not blink. And it makes him very creepy right off the bat, even before you notice he doesn't blink, 
because she blinks quite a lot because she's always got tears in her eyes. Mm -hmm. So it becomes very stark contrast between the two of them. Definitely. So some time passes because it's no longer raining and she is walking down a sunny lit sidewalk to a building. And this building's number is not one. It's not one Wellington place. There are four digits on there. And I think it's like a, it ends in a seven. You don't get to see the whole number, but it ends in a seven. So we know it's not one. And this is the one of the weirdest parts of the episode in a filmmaking sense. She knocks on the door and she like kind of looks in, but there's curtains in front of the windows. So she can't really see in. At least I think they're curtains. They look like crunched up paper. Yeah, it definitely looks like crunched up paper. And hard cut to her being inside the building already. And considering everything else kind of has a decently established scene of them being where they are it's very odd that they didn't just show her opening the door and entering that she just kind of apparates inside of the building with no like visual cue in and i'm wondering if that's because that's not the same interior as the exterior quite possibly we don't really see the outside of the building again yeah well maybe one small near the end so maybe there's some weird filming restrictions with that but she goes to this place and she enters into this nice looking hallway with some like traditional Chinese, I don't want to say drawings, but art on the walls. And she finds this psychiatrist like office with a big door that's very ornate. And it's got this very big frosted glass window that is just beaming with white light and she goes up to it and tries to unlock it and it won't budge and then she tries to peek through the keyhole and that's when the tear collector shows up and he's like it's in human nature to find locked doors irresistible and she says like oh i'm sorry i just walked in here the door was open the door was open and he tells her that he had been waiting for her and she says i I don't even know why I came. And I here's what she, he says in response. It is so bizarre and so creepy and weird. I actually need to tell that to you exactly. You're like a dear little girl lost in the woods. All you want to do is cry, isn't it? And it's like, what? It's like so insulting. <laughs> like, what an insulting thing to say. But he doesn't really say it in an insulting way. Mm-hmm. He's got this very bizarre manner to him. So even though that is, I mean, that on sounds paper, very insulting. On paper, it's insulting. Um, I could just imagine, you know, the bully from freaking a Christmas story. <laughs> You're like, a little girl lost the woods. All you want to do is cry, isn't it? Cry, baby, cry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just imagine that coming out of his mouth. That sounds like it would. But he says it like it's something precious. <laughs> and that in and of itself is really bizarre and weird. Just very, very creepy in this sort of very Soothing. non-malevolent way. Yeah. He just benevolently wants to see you cry. <laughs> it's just uh, very strange. As weird as that was to hear, it was even weirder to watch. Yes. So he says, like, oh, come with me to the sofa. And 
she goes and sits down and he's like it'll be more comfortable if you lay down and so she lays down and he asks her how long has she been so sad and she tells him like all of my life but I don't want to see a psychiatrist <laughs> I don't want to take pills and he finishes her sentiment with because you want to cry <laughs> yeah he's like because all you want to do is cry <laughs> and it's he said so weird but again he says it in this such an understanding way like there's literally nothing wrong with that and it I get it. It feels it feels like it should be insulting, but it isn't. And it just has such a weird feeling you know, to hear him say these things in a non-insulting way. And then he's like, "You're not alone, Prudence." And she's like, "But I've I've always been alone, I think." And he's like, "But you're not alone, Prudence." Not anymore. Not anymore. And then the waterworks kick up. <laughs> he says, tears are too precious to waste. And he like opens up this little box and he pulls out this ornate glass swan bottle, like a little swan vial. And he just quickly just rams that up to the side of her face. And he starts catching her tears like missile defense, that old Atari 2600 game. <laughs> Or you stop the missiles from coming down. It's exactly like that. All of our tears are going down. He's just moving the bottle to catch them. <laughs> I find it pretty funny that she's just totally takes that in stride. That he just whips out a bottle and starts collecting the tears. Like she doesn't quite find it weird enough to say anything about it. Like she just cries. <laughs> and he goes on to say some weird stuff that the ancient Chinese believed that tears had brought man closer to divinity, I think, if I remembered that right. And that of all God's creatures, it is only man who cries. I'm, I'm gonna spoil that right now. Sea turtles also cry. They're like the other animal that cries. Just as a fun science fact of the day, sea turtles cry to get the salt water out of their eyes. Do they cry out of sadness, Zachy? <laughs> When an animal cries out of pure sorrow. Except, you know, dogs, which will also cry when they're sad, just not actual tears. Yeah. And that kind of at the end of this session, he tells her that he knows the magic of tears. And then it cuts to after the session, I'm just walking down the hall, and that she says, like, oh, I feel better, but why do you do this? And he basically responds to that with, like, oh, I am just somebody of service yeah it, it's a weird response like <laughs> yeah he also says something about like because she says when she feels better and she doesn't understand why because she cried before and she never felt better and he says it's because she didn't hate her tears mm -hmm. which to be honest with you kind of makes a little bit of sense because if you start crying or whatever and you try to like push it back and bottle it up you're probably not going to feel much better right because you're not really releasing anything and yes, and I use that on purpose. Bottling it up is a literal metaphor in this. But when he's trying to say is that you didn't hate your tears, right? She embraced them. She allowed herself to cry and feel good about it. And that's what made her feel better. So this is kind of builds up what the, I guess the purpose of the episode, maybe even the meaning of the episode is. Mm -hmm. So she comments like, oh, are you lonely? Or something like that. And he's like, 
lonely? No. I have all the tears I could want. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't say that, but I just think in that. And then he just slips her a 50 and he asks 50 for her to nothing. visit again. He slips her a, a giant wad of cash. Mm-hmm. And uh, he asks her to visit again. Yeah, they've only just and begun. And they've only just begun. <laughs> <laughs> we jump back to the apartment with Prudence and Gretchen. And, and like Gretchen's getting in a dress or something. And she, uh, Prudence, is tailoring it. And Gretchen has like the best line in this whole thing. And she says like, oh, talk about a babe in the woods. Some weirdo walks up to the street and hands you his card. And you actually went to go visit him? He actually went to his home. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, she is really kind of the voice of reason here. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't just do that. Like, if especially, you want to live. Especially if somebody walks up to you and says, Your tears are beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I took him to go home and find out he's one of the Cenobites. <laughs> well, actually, I take it back. Pinhead doesn't believe crying's good. He thinks it's a waste of good suffering. Yeah. So maybe so he wouldn't like this guy. Thing. Or maybe there's like pansy Cenobites. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't but, think that's such a thing as a pansy Cenobite. I don't think you become a Cenobite by being a pansy. You sure there's not like a, a sub-premium tier Cenobite, a Cenobite that's like less than all right of bites? No. <laughs> I think those guys don't get to become Cenobites at all. <laughs> she then asks if the guy tried to put any moves on her and she says no and oh, she she actually says something really funny which is kind of like a little burn she says they're not like the guys you're used to Ooh. yeah and she asks okay well what kind of guy is he like omar sherry or bella lugosi prudence then tells her that he's not like other guys and she tells her that that she had spent her whole life wishing that she could be happy and that she thinks that the tear collector can actually help her. And then we cut to the bottle like half full. And I think in universe that's supposed to be mostly full because it, it, when it's actually full, it's not much fuller than when it's half full. So, I mean, visually half full, they don't fill it up to the brim. Well, he actually says your your bottle's almost full, even though it's like barely half full. So that's how we know it's almost full in universe. <laughs> and then Prudence tells him that nobody's ever listened to her, and she asks why is he collecting the tears, and he responds with something like, "Once the bottle is full, you will be ready." And she's like, "What?" <laughs> he responds that. When the bottle is full, you'll be ready to smile and live once more. And then he gives her a glass of sherry, and she asks what he meant by his earlier statement that her tears were different. And he tells her that those tears were of great sorrow and have a special chemical that scientists have no way to explain it, though he believes that it, they come from the soul. And with that, the heart may heal itself. Then she, you know, reasonably asks, like, so when the bottle's full, I'll be happy? He's like, no. <laughs> Nothing can guarantee happiness, as both are a cycle. 
Yeah, and he also mentions he wishes he could guarantee her happiness. The only thing he can do is free her from the sorrow so she can have, so she can be either happy or sad. Because mm-hmm. basically she's like currently chained down to, ha- to sadness, right? She doesn't have the freedom to leave it for any other emotion. But when she's able to, I guess, cry to her heart's content, she'll literally be able to be content, be anything else but sad. And then he just pulls up a key. He's like, I'd like to show you what's behind the door. And they walk up to that white glowy door and he opens it. And there is this large octagonal white room with like two shelves that line the whole room and a little pedestal in the middle. It is covered in bottles of all different shapes and sizes. And colors. And colors. And he introduces this as the chamber of ancient sorrows. That's what I call my bathroom. (laughs) Oh my god. And that he continues and says that soon she will join them. And she says they all look ancient. He tells her that they are. And he exemplifies this with a bottle, like a black bottle with two figures on it. And it's a little middle thing. It looks like it's carved out of stone. And he tells her that this was the tears of an Aztec who had watched the conquistadors crush his world. And and I want to put a little pronunciation note here it's conquistadores not conquistadors okay just to throw that out there it's conquistadores so then he moves on to another bottle and this one's kind of a bland looking one it's just kind of like a almost like a tube that just bulbs out at the bottom a bit and it's like kind of pinkish and he says that this was the tears of a confederate mother whose son never returned. And then he tells her, after she asks, that he has been doing this for a very long time. And she asks, what, what, why is there an empty spot? And he's like, oh, this is where yours is going to go. I feel like you kind of glazed over that for a second. She asks, how long have you been doing this, considering he just mentioned an Aztec boy as well as a the mother of a Confederate soldier. And he says, I've been doing this for a very long time. And that, I mean, considering it, the Aztec head, that's a very long time if he took the tears himself. So he's implying here, and she doesn't even bother to question it, she just rolls with it, that he's basically immortal. Mm-hmm. Because if he collected those tears himself, he is immortal. He lived forever. <laughs> yeah, and, and to get a time frame for that, the conquistadores landed in... South America and Mexico around like the 1600s and that's when the wipeout happened so he's been doing this for in that universe roughly about 300 years three four hundred years well because it's 1600 plus 400 is till 2000 I guess you're right I, no, I jumped the up to the 80s <laughs> I'm thinking about today. Yeah. It would be about 400 roughly now, but yeah, then. Yeah, still collecting his tears. So then we jump back to the roommate painting her toes and pointing out that, I was like, oh, is he giving you flowers now? And Prudence is like, no, I just wanted them to brighten up the room. And she's like, oh, are you falling in love? And Prudence is like, so what if I am? And then Gretchen spills nail polish on a bunch of magazines. She's like, ah, oh, boy, and reaches into a drawer to grab tissues. And she pulls out 
a fat wad of cash. Like, this is some bread right here. Gretchen starts counting the money, and it's like $500 in 80s money. They're all $100 bills. Yes. And she's like, hey, what are you doing for that guy who's that you're constantly visiting? And Prudence is like, nothing. I'm just crying for him. And then you can kind of see in her face like, oh, yeah, that is kind of weird, isn't it? And that, that's pretty weird. Yeah, it is a really funny kind of discomfort <laughs> as she sort of thinks about what she does for him. And then saying it out loud, this kind of discomfort where it's like, yeah, that is really bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> it's a relatively short scene because like shortly after that, we cut back to the tear collector in the chamber of ancient sorrows. And he's got one of the vials and he takes the lid off. And he's listening to the opening of the vial, and you can kind of hear faint sobbing in the, the vial. And you can see he's listening to it and kind of closes his eyes. And then we see Prudence walks in, and he just closes it and sees that she's there. And he's like, I wasn't expecting you till tomorrow. And you see like a singular tear streaming down his face. And she's like, I, I wanted to visit. And... He's like, well, the bottle's almost full. It ain't. It's like half full. That's not full. <laughs> I guess he doesn't want to fill the swan head. He just wants to fill, like, the body. And I guess the swan head doesn't get to And the tail the doesn't neck. fill up either. Yeah, so it's, like, annoyingly not full at all. And she's like, oh, can I just visit? And he's can like... Can we just talk? Was I unclear? <laughs> he does say that, like, <laughs> legit. It's, like, really funny. He doesn't say it as, like, harshly as that. Yeah, he's he's more a... like, perhaps I've been unclear. Yeah, but the message is still the same. Like, he <laughs> has very specific roles for both him and her in this relationship. And it is very much a business transaction. So she sits down and she tells him, like, oh, I want to cry, but I can't. And she understands that she's simply supposed to cry for him. And he asks if she needs help to cry. And she's like, yes, I would like to get help to cry. And like, maybe they're thinking like, okay, maybe he's going to like pull out a picture of a sad (laughs) dog. Or maybe he's going to like twist some skin on her arm or something to get a tear out. He leans in and he kisses her on the lips. And backs up, back to his original position. I mean, I would scarcely call that a kiss. It's more like he just kind of barely pressed his mouth against hers and quickly pulled back. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Looking like he might have just kissed a cactus. (laughs) It's that look that he might have contracted cooties. (laughs) Yes. He was not very pleased with this. He might have started crying. And she stays kind of static face, but a face of shock. And tears just start streaming down her left cheek, specifically. That's the only cheek that cries in the whole episode. Yeah. And And they don't show her eyes while this is happening. It's just like her cheek. And you know it's because they're streaming water down there so they can get those exact tears. That's why. They got the intern with Uh the eyedropper dropping them down. That's why you can show the eyes because they're not coming out the eyeball. (laughs) And he is quick with that swan bottle and he's just (laughs) catching them all. And he backs out and he's like, it is full. And he puts a little, little tiny glass lid on there that barely sits in there snugly. It's a cute little baby cork. It's not Mm. really even a cork. It's like a glass cork. She is like, you kissed me. And he's like, 
Yeah. He's like, I had to. <laughs> he's like, it was necessary. And she's like. To fill the vial. He's like, yeah, to fill the vial, yeah. And <laughs> she's, she's like, can I still visit you? And he's like, no. No. He's like, no. Because you're ready. And she's like, did you care? Didn't you at least care about me? And he's like, goodbye. <laughs> Which is literally what he says, but it's not in the tone he says it, of course. Yeah, we're kind of joking with him being like kind of crass. Everything he says, he says with like the utmost gentleness. Mm-hmm. He's dealing with something very fragile, and he honestly kind of is, right? He's very used to handling people who want to cry, right? Uh-huh. And of course, he wants them to cry. But he doesn't doesn't want to hurt them. them. So Mm -hmm. everything he says is very, very gentle. So when she's hurt anyway, and she leaves. Mm -hmm. And then there's this other lady. Another lady (laughs) in the hallway. And she goes in immediately after. And then Prudence has got this, like, green-eyed monster look on her. Where she is just like, oh, no. No, no, no. This is my tear collector. And so she sneaks in, and the lady is on the couch, and she is sobbing. And and this is an interesting thing. It's not explicit in the episode itself. She's got a tissue, and she's wiping away her tears. Mm-hmm. And the tear collector doesn't even have, like, a jar in his hands. He's actually mm-hmm. talking to her about tears, but he's not collecting them, mm-hmm. which is very interesting. And then Prudence, just Sam Fisher, sneaks across the room into the open door of the chamber and she looks on the pedestal for her swan bottle and this part makes me so angry she finds her bottle and she grabs it and just full on (laughs) bowl in a china shop just holds her elbows out as far as possible and she turns around with her bottle and knocks like five bottles of his onto the ground shattering all of them and there's just wailing, crying, just emanating from the room. Yeah, it's so frustrating because, <laughs> like, it's supposed to be an accident, but gosh darn, like, really? Like, really? Like, this place, like, do you go to antique shops, like, with that kind of, like, posture? Do you, like, honestly, like, just swing your elbows around wildly when you know there's these, like, really fragile glasses everywhere? And she didn't do it on purpose, which might have been more forgivable almost if she was angry. But no, she's just clumsy, and it was annoying. Because, like, he clearly worked very hard to get all those tears, and those are irreplaceable, Mm -hmm. you know? And she's just freaking breaking them all, and it's like, what the heck? He was never once deceptive. He was always very honest and gentle and and clear. And the fact that she took it the wrong way anyway is not his fault. And mm-hmm. she going and breaking all his stuff. Like, that's his, like, precious collection. And she's ruining it. Uh-huh. And then when she's all upset from, like, hearing all the tears and she's scared and whatnot, she backs up and knocks down more of them. And these are, like, ornate bottles. Like, this is, like... This is like some Avon bottle like mm-hmm. stuff, you know? This is this is some pretty cool looking stuff and he's she's just knocking them over like a bull in a china shop. And he comes in and he's like unreasonably not upset. Yeah, like we are upset for him. He comes in there and he's completely unaffected by the destruction of his collection. I mean, maybe he's not completely unaffected by it. But he's certainly not showing it. Mm-hmm. And he actually specifically seems more upset over her actions as opposed to the damage to his collection. 
And when he sees her in there, he actually says, There's too much sadness in the world already. Just let go. Leave me and my tears. So he's not actually mad at her. He's just upset that she won't let go of her emotions. Mm -hmm. That she still, she literally went back for her tears, for her sorrow. She's not letting go. And he wants that more than anything is for her to let go of her tears. Yeah, so really the motive of the tear collector isn't so much to have tears. It's to remove them from others. Mm Mm-hmm. Despite the fact that he clearly takes pleasure out of his collection, like he goes and listens to the tears and it makes him sad. So he does actually have like a personal pleasure that he takes out of it. But he's not so harmed by their destruction as he is by their inability to let go of their own sorrow. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty interesting. Um, we'll probably discuss this more in depth a bit later as we try to figure out what the Collector actually is. And... So she runs into the hall and she kind of stops at the door when he pops out from the office. He literally stops her at the door. She's about to leave. But he chases her down and says, wait, tears are all I can take from you. You must forget me. And then he allows her to leave. Mm-hmm. And she like runs down the stairs outside and runs into the street and immediately a taxi almost hits her. And she drops the bottle and it shatters on the floor. And seeing the bottle drop and actually shatter on the floor and seeing how much tears are in there, it's like watching a water balloon pop. Mm -hmm. Like, it's an insane amount of water. (laughs) Yeah, she seems to notice this too. She's looking down at the shattered glass and the huge puddle that formed and is like picking up the pieces. She's like, my tears... All my tears. And the taxi cab driver comes out and he's like, Oh, sorry, ma'am. Uh, I guess I didn't see you there. It's like, you didn't see her there. She literally jumped out in front of the car. <laughs> you, you are not at fault, taxi guy. <laughs> he basically asks her, like, Oh, did you, did you break something? Uh, she's like, Yeah, yeah, it was a, it was a thing. <laughs> he's like, Oh, I, can I replace it for you? And she's like, no, not really. He's like, why? Oh, what was it? He's like, yeah, this, is, this is gonna sound a little crazy, but uh, it was a bottle filled with my tears. <laughs> he's, he's he has a smile on this whole time, but you can see his like, there's like a flash of concern on his face. Mm-hmm. Like, Your tears? <laughs> like what? He's like he's like smile awkward kind of smile turns into a <laughs> smile of fear. <laughs> What is this woman doing with a bottle of her own tears? And she's like, yeah. And I wrote down that she was uh, slightly moping about it. <laughs> and uh, he, he comments on he comments her on her smile. Like, Did anybody ever tell you that you have a beautiful smile? And she's like, yeah, no, not in a long time, no. Not recently. Not recently. Like, you know, seeing as I filled an entire jar of my own tears. <laughs> So it kind of moves forward and they're like going to have a date. And then the next scene is them going on a date. Having well, fully it... moved on from her dropping her tears and kind of figuratively and literally letting go of her tears finally. Once she found someone that she can actually start dating. I, you know, I got to say it's something different though. Hmm. It's not that she let go of them because she found someone, right? 
she let them go and it was an accident but she did let them go and because she let them go she was able to be smiling and this man thought she was beautiful because of how happy she was and then wanted to date her so it's kind of the opposite right is when she finally let go of her tears then she was able to move on and find a romantic relationship the romantic relationship did not make her let go Mm-hmm. Which was, I guess, more impressive for, I guess, something in the 80s where true love doesn't make you happy. Being happy allows you to find true love. Yes. So if you're miserable, you will never find anyone. And that is the moral of the story, everyone. Well, you can find someone. She found <laughs> This is the tale from the dark side. <laughs> the real Although, scary part I, is there is no true love for us miserable folks. <laughs> I do want to mention, though, that... The way it cuts when he, he almost hits her with the car and they're talking and then, they, then all of a sudden they're walking away. It does, in fact, look like, it, it, like they walked away from the road because they're wearing the same clothes. So it looks like he just like left his taxi in the middle of the road and just started walking her home. That's like what that looks like. I, I'm not sure if time's supposed to have passed, but it does not feel like it. It feels like just the next shot is the two of them walking away from that exact scene. <laughs> so and I'm not sure if that is the case. Like maybe he just drove her to her destination and then they started walking but the time cut's kind of funny so it makes it it makes me in my brain hole just see him just ditching his taxi in the middle of the road to walk her home and then head cannon time the homeless guy moves into the taxi <laughs> that, yes, he gets a new car that is how the episode ends yeah so of course the main point of discussion is what the heck is the tiller collector why does he do what he does? Let us figure this man creature out. Yes. And he is definitely a creature because he is not human in that he is immortal and he don't blink. Yeah, he okay? don't blink. That no clearly means blink. he's some kind of a monster. Now, let us start with what we know for sure. This is without any inferences. This is without any guesswork. What do we know about the tear collector? He doesn't blink. He, on his free time, listens to the sorrows of others. He's he immortal. has an intense interest in other people's tears and their sadness. And believes in a lot of philosophy around tears. And what the philosophy of tears making mankind special. Also, we know that despite, or maybe even because of, who knows, his ability to feel people's sorrow through their left behind tears that this seems to be the kind of reasoning behind collecting them or perhaps again and this is perhaps an inference so i'm going against my own uh, thing here but that seems to be his point of enjoyment of the tears themselves that he can in his free time listen to them and cry over them so i guess just to, to cut down into what we know for sure he does in fact listen to the tears and cries because of them we also know he does care about people because he said to her that he wished he could guarantee her happiness, but he cannot. So we know that he does have good intentions towards the people he helps. He does, in fact, want... And this is what... If we believe in his words, because he doesn't seem like he's a liar for any reason. There's never been a time he was proved wrong or proved to be lying. He seems to be a being of his word. So he does seem to wish well upon his clients or whatever you might call them. So what can we say about the tear collector? He's benevolent. He 
perhaps feels sorrow vicariously through them. Because here's one thing. We don't know anything about his own emotions. Mm -hmm. We know he does wish good things. But he, on the other hand, does seem to love tears. He likes sorrow. Now, why does he like them? Because we see him going out of his way to listen to them and, and cry himself. So does he enjoy the feeling? Does he... Wh why does he do that, do you think? I'm going to go on the major theory that I've been working on since I first watched this episode. And this is going to sound a little out there, but I feel like I have enough evidence to this to actually be supported by a lot of small things in the episode. Hmm. I believe that the tear collector may actually be some kind of an angel. And I feel like this is kind of supported in many different ways. His advanced age of basic immortality, essentially, where his like divine duty is to collect tears. Being an angel, they're not necessarily known to be highly emotional, and that he has a lot of philosophy about the importance of man above other animals being in tears, and that through tears he's able to feel what humanity feels vicariously now, which why? he doesn't seem to generate emotions of his own mm -hmm. so that with his immortality seemingly inability to blink um except of course to emphasize a message that he's trying to say his relentlessly soft tone that he takes and him just magically showing up and knowing when she needed him he knew her name. And knew her name told. beyond all reason for him to know so. And do you know, he also seems to know a lot about her before. Like, he asked her how long she's been sad, but he also seemed to know everything she was feeling. Mm -hmm. Like, when it comes and to certain... emotions, he already knows that about her. And he was able to pin it down even when she didn't 100% realize that herself. Yeah, like the whole, like, you're not alone thing. That's something that he just throws at her without any indication from her that that's something that might be hurting her. Mm -hmm. And not to mention the fact that he knew that giving her a kiss would cause her to cry. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, I would think that that wouldn't be a natural idea. Like, I'm gonna make this person cry. Let me kiss them. Mm -hmm. That doesn't seem like that would be a logical step for any normal person to take. Unless, of course, you're a strange being who knows somebody's emotions thoroughly that he would be able to guess or, or simply know that that action would cause exactly that response. So after a little bit of digging, he is Cassiel. Yeah. Straight up is Cassiel. Yeah, it took like five seconds to like Google it. Uh, first of all, okay, I, I, I mean, I, I had to We did to a know. lot of work. <laughs> yeah, we did a whole five seconds of Googling. Um, okay, his name is Ambrose um, Cavender. Cavender. Okay, Cavender's a weird name. So it's like Ambrose. I don't know what that means. And I honestly don't really like usually it's the when name I hear of a writer. It's the name of Ambrose Bierce, right? He like writes a bunch of horror stories. Every time I hear the name Ambrose, I just think it's a reference to him. But more importantly, his last name is Cavender, which uh, according to like baby namespedia, Cavender straight up means an emotional woman. Mm hmm. So, I mean, he himself is not an emotional woman, but apparently he's helping all these emotional women in the episode. Mm -hmm. So that's, I mean, clearly there for that reason. He, he's named himself to his target audience. Exactly. Those are his clients. <laughs> However, the fact that he's Cassiel is, I think, rather evident. I looked in Wikipedia, which told me actually basically nothing, but 
looking up on this site called mythology.net. I'm just going to read it because this is literally him. It's insanely fitting. Yeah. Okay. This is the patronage section of the mythology.net, the Cassiel Archangel. Okay. Cassiel is the patron angel of all manner of overlooked people or those in weakened states. These include orphaned children and the enslaved, the poor and downtrodden, those who are oppressed by others, the oppressed, and those who have been unjustly persecuted. As a patron angel of the downtrodden and oppressed, Cassiel's influence can be seen and felt when someone is at their lowest ebb. Mm. When an orphan feels like there's no future, he will whisper that they are not alone. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah, that would be like the Aztec boy he mentioned, the one who would be orphaned, and he saw the, the conquistadores destroy his entire world. When a parent loses a child and cannot see beyond the tears, Cassiel will intercede to help wipe them away so they may see to the next day. That would Confederate be... Confederate mom? Yeah. And finally, when a person feels there is nothing at all left to live for, Cassiel lifts them and bears them forward. And then it continues to say, As a flawed species, mankind needs the love and support of Cassiel, and he shoulders our burdens for us until we can care ourselves again. The last one might be the main girl. That's just, right? that's just the plot of the episode. Yeah, that he's literally helping them. So if this is supposed to be Cassiel in general, then... Without him being named Cassiel, the tear collector is Cassiel. He is him. So the idea that he's an angel was very clearly, I mean, not clearly implied, but he's so bizarre and ancient. It's, you can't help but think he's probably some kind of an angel. Yeah, and the Chamber of Ancient Sorrows is <laughs> like a very angelic looking room with like a Greek pillar in the middle and just this Apple Store white room with all of these different bottles of sorrows like this is a very angelic looking room yeah and i feel like all those other points that you mentioned earlier about him like you know not blinking he, he's got this and and him just having this lack of emotion like he's very gentle but he doesn't have a lot of emotions himself he has mm -hmm. to sort of feel them vicariously through listening through tears it is very alien mm -hmm. and disconcerting but at the same time he's very benevolent Mm -hmm. So that makes you think of like an angel because he isn't really a person, even though he looks like it, uh, but he doesn't act like it either. But he's still this strange being of benevolence. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that just naturally makes you think he might be some kind of an angel. And then, of course, looking it up kind of confirms it. It's like, yeah. you know, they didn't say he's Cassiel, but he absolutely is. But all roads lead to Cassiel in this, <laughs> in this episode. Yeah, so I think we figured it out. We, we did it. figured him out. We did it, folks. We did it. Yeah, we solved it. This is no theories. We got ourselves. This isn't no this is hypothesis. This isn't no hypothesis. This is an actual theory, and we have some real good evidence showing that this man, this Ambrose Cavender, Cavender. this tear collector, is in fact Cassiel. The Angel of Saturday, the Angel of Tears, which I mean is actually one of his other titles. Another thing actually going to the fact that Cassiel is. So let's just pretend all the episodes take place on Saturday. Yes, <laughs> I mean it could be right. He's thinking like once a week, and kind of like it's like like a therapist or something. So we got some more questions here about him. We killed off the most pressing issue about what he is. Now I think let's we can't go. even top that one now. Yeah, everything else <laughs> is just in little baby bits here. But I got a little question. Yeah. Is he functionally a therapist? He I... seems to act like it in certain ways. But is he also actually a therapist? I want to say with the second person, probably. 
Because what I'm thinking, we notice, of course, and we mentioned, is he's not got a jar for her or a, a little vial. Mm-hmm. So is he just acting as a therapist for her and not collecting your tears? Because it seems that there's specific tears he wants to collect. Because mm-hmm. even though that the, the, the Chamber of Ancient Sorrows is big, it is also rather empty. So you would think if he had, like, clients constantly that he was seeing to, that he'd be having just jars and jars and jars and jars of tears. Mm-hmm. So it seems that he collects special ones. And I'm not sure if maybe that woman wasn't the kind of tears he wants to collect or what. Why he's not collecting her tears. Maybe he already has that kind of tear. Hmm. Maybe she has a specific sorrow to her that he already owned. Or maybe she's not ready yet because she did have a tissue. Maybe she's still trying to hide her tears. Right? I don't know. I mean, he was pretty quick to collect her tears. Like literally the first time he got her in that chair, he was he already had that bottle at her face. So I'm going to say the more likely scenario is her tears were not ones he needed for the collection. Hmm. Whether or not he needs them now because of how many bottles were destroyed, who knows? But, but he was also talking to her about tears. So quite possibly he didn't have the same kind of conversation with this new lady that he did with her. Where he didn't quite convince her about these tears yet. Maybe she, or maybe she needed more convincing to cry into a jar first. You know, like <laughs> that may work for the for uh, Prudence, but perhaps it doesn't I don't quite know, work for I kind of surprised her with that bottle though. But she didn't do anything about it. She may have been surprised, but she was perfectly fine. She's, yeah. She took everything in stride. No matter how weird things got, she was like more or less okay with it. And it helped her fall in love. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that kind of, besides how bizarre that is, you can kind of see it though, right? Because she does feel like, because her biggest obstacle, her biggest obstacle to finding a man or even wanting to pursue a romantic relationship to begin with was the fact that they wouldn't like her for who she was because she really defined herself around her sorrow. And you can see that that in a beginning monologue that she thinks she's built different. She wasn't really meant to be happy. That's the way she is. She's defined herself by her sorrow. And that's why it was so hard for her to let go because that was that was her and the tear collector his goal was to make her let go of the sorrow Mm -hmm. which she couldn't do because she defined herself by it that was her Mm -hmm. it wasn't just a problem or something that she could let go of it was a part of her and that's why she fell in love with him right because he like he very seemingly very clearly liked her for her tears so she saw him as liking this part of her that she saw as unlovable Mm-hmm. Right? So the fact that he loved her for that made her fall in love with him. But, of course, that wasn't at all his goal. And he told mm-hmm. her that at the beginning, that he wanted her to be free of the sorrow. He told her that, like, at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So clearly he wouldn't love her for the tears he wanted her to not have anymore. Right? He just wanted her to be better. And honestly, I don't even think he can feel love. Mm-mm. Not in that way. Not unless you can put it in a jar and, like, you know, listen to it. <laughs> but that's not his job. No, it isn't. It's not his, it's not his desire. It's it's nothing to him. He's, he's a tear collector, not a heart collector. Exactly. He's not Cupid. <laughs> so, yeah. I think odds are he didn't collect the second girl's tears because he didn't need them. Mm-hmm. Because he is a tear collector. And I feel like those tears that were in the bottles were all unique tears that he got a hold of over the course of the years. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know. I feel like it's so weird that I feel like there should be more. Oh, yeah, there should be more. But then again, we don't know how limited the budget is. There could have been hundreds in the short story. True. 
And they're like, we can't afford that many Avon bottles. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So it's kind of odd. Like, it's possible that he is going to collect that other woman's tears at some point. Just he hasn't worked her into doing so. Because she, I think she came in there, like, holding, like, a towel, like, a handkerchief or a napkin or something in her hand. I can't quite remember. I feel like he would have swatted that away. And just but go. he's not going to force someone to be uncomfortable, right? <laughs> no, I know. So just, it's I, quite he possible. He would have just told her the same thing he told Prudence, which is like, just don't fight your tears. Just let them flow. But see, he was. Right as she snuck in, he was kind of talking about tears being a good thing. So I don't think he was able to broach that topic quite yet, which is why she was crying as a normal person would, which is into a tissue and not into a bottle, right? So Uh I think he might have been after collecting her tears, but just hasn't gotten to that point. Just after Prudence leaves, you see him just wringing out the towel to get the tears. Uh (laughs) Aww. Gosh, like freaking Mason Verger. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and it's funny, despite the fact that we, we already know he's Castiel, he's a good person. But straight up, he is like an actual mixture in the way his mannerism is, the way he speaks, and the way he behaves. He's like a mixture of like Mason Verger, of Hannibal Lecter, and Lord Loss. Except all three of these horrible villains come together uh, and make an actual like angel. (laughs) To clarify for the audience, who is Lord Loss? Okay, Lord Loss. If you have not read Darren Shan's wonderful and very gory and brutal young adult series, The Demonata, he's one of the best characters in it. He is the main antagonist, and he is absolutely just the greatest character ever. Uh, He's basically this demon of sorrow. He speaks like he's hideously depressed and could just burst into tears at any second. Read The Demonata. You, you might actually know some of Darren Chan's work if you've ever seen or heard the Cirque du Freak movie. Mm-hmm. Um, that came out like property, a billion yeah. years ago. It's based off the books of Cirque du Freak. Now, I could not bear to watch the Cirque du Freak movie because, like, the books are so dear to me. I, like, watched the trailer. I'm like, oh, my gosh, they made it a comedy. I cannot because it is not a comedy. That first book had me bawling like a baby, and I've read that three times, and it always makes me cry. And then they make him, like, playing a freaking handheld console in his coffin, like, when he's being buried. Like, nope. Like, that was the scene that caused me to cry, and they turned into a comedy. (laughs) That scene became a joke to them. But, yeah, Darren Chan writes amazing stories. (laughs) Read it. Okay, so back to Tales from the Dark Side, yes. which is what we're talking about, not Darren Shan. <laughs> Who's the tear collector now? <laughs> he's Cassiel. Okay, he's Cassiel. And I have a question for you. Oh, yeah? What kind of tears do you think Prudence had? Like, what is the special flavor, so to speak, of tears that Prudence was filled with? I think it's just melancholy. Uh, she doesn't seem to have a lot of as far as we can tell, have a lot of horrible things happen to her. Mm. She says she's always been alone. I mean, there could have been bad things happening to her, but it seems like she's always been chased down by this feeling of sadness that she could never explain that probably causes her to be alone or to at least feel very lonely. And I think that, well, for one, could also be what drew the tear collector to her, right? He is also like the angel of like loneliness. You know, he goes after people like that. Not goes after like he's like a monster, <laughs> but he is drawn to people like that who need a shoulder to cry on, who need company, who need 
someone to care for them. And I feel like for her, it's just that kind of almost causeless melancholy that she can't ever seem to shake. To the point, again, where she, it became a part of her, her own definition of herself. I feel like if there was an event that caused that, you would probably have a before and after, right? There'd be the, the me before this happened and then the me after this happened and you may think this is the new you this is the new you but it's not necessarily the true you right and she doesn't seem to be like that so i would believe that's the flavor of her tears <laughs> although if i was put an actual flavor i'd probably say they're a bit flowery because the entire episode she has got a motif of flowers mm-hmm and this is probably an interesting thing. I'm not really sure what it necessarily means. But the, the color scheme, which of course does have a very obvious meaning, is how she grows from being sad to being free from sadness. Now, she starts off the episode wearing this dark blue dress. That's also covered in flowers. She, like I said, she's got a very strong flowery theme. But it's a dark blue dress. Uh, and she's wearing that same dress when she meets the tear collector. When she meets him the second time, she is wearing a light blue button-up shirt and a dark blue flowery skirt. And then later on, and during her second session with the tear collector, this is when she's feeling a lot better. The jar's half full. She's wearing a, a blue dress with these weird like reddish or orange flowers on them. So, like I said, strong, strong flower motif. But now, this is the important part. When she is putting, again, flowers in her apartment, real flowers, as opposed to the framed ones, Maybe this is part of the flower motif. You have the dark blue with the flowers. Like she wants to be happy, but she isn't. There's the blue underneath. And then you have all these pictures of flowers decorating the walls of her apartment. Some of them are literally blue flowers. Yeah, they're blue flowers, but they're also not real. They're <laughs> frames. They're unattainable. And then when she's starting to feel happier, when she says oh, she might be falling in love, she's putting real flowers out mm-hmm. as opposed to these fake ones, these ones that are not real. She's putting real flowers up. And her dress, which is also flowery, is now purple. It is not actually blue. And notably, she's happier. And finally, when she goes to see the tear collector for the last time, she is no longer wearing blue. She is wearing a very light lavender. And her scarf that she is wearing is, it's almost like abstract flowers. So they're not as defined as previously, but they're still kind of a flowery look. But I do want to mention too, besides this sort of growing out of the blue, is that she doesn't go into a very bright, happy color, like yellow or pink. She's wearing purple, which is a mixture between red and blue, right? Mm -hmm. So it still has this possibility of, of blue, but it isn't blue. It's still on the cool spectrum, but it is not fully out of the blue yet exactly but it's now a mixture she's reached that point that the tear collector had mentioned and it's the fact that happiness and sadness are a cycle so quite possibly purple can represent being in the middle of it Mm. you can now tip towards sadness so you can tip towards happiness if you want to paint happiness as red you know or pink even and mix it with blue you get purple so she's in this kind of neutral zone where she's no longer sad but isn't quite happy she has a potential for it now so that's kind of like an interesting theme with her coloration and of course i'm not quite sure such a thing exists for 
the tear collector. He often wears a blue suit with a red tie, but he has also been seen, like in one scene, wearing a gray suit, which are kind of sad, maybe drab colors, because we've also seen her wearing a gray overcoat. So I guess gray can also be associated with sadness, mm-hmm. but he is not himself sad. He has to kind of make himself sad by like listening to the tears, but he seems to be perfectly content with his own lot. He is helping people be free from their sadness. So even though he's associated with sadness, he is not lonely or sad. And I think as an angel, he doesn't necessarily have the capability of feeling those things. Mm -hmm. He just has his duty that he performs. So yeah, that's one notable thing about uh, prudence. And of course, I think it would be imprudent for us to sort of not mention the meaning of her name. Prudence means the ability to govern and discipline oneself by the use of reason. So someone who is prudent is going to use wisdom and their rationale as opposed to emotion, right? They're not going to be governed by that. And it's funny that she's named Prudence because she's very much controlled by her emotion. She's crying all the time. She defines herself by the fact that she's crying. And most of her decisions are based off of the fact that she's crying. Like, she doesn't want to go on dates because no one's going to like me because I'm crying all the time. So she doesn't actually live up to her name. Uh, at least, maybe, not until the end, right? Mm. Where she actually lets go of her sadness and starts making decisions based off of, I guess, simply not sorrow anymore, you know? Yeah. Whether or not she becomes prudent, I don't really know. But perhaps that's just the opportunity to gain that prudence and live up to her name. While hilariously enough, you have... Cavender. Cavender. Which is more fitting for her. Exactly. Than... <laughs> so he's kind of the prudent one. And she's the Cavender, but he helps her become more prudent. And finally, I think it's important to dig into the actual symbolism of the jars of tears. Now, this is a kind of a tricky thing because presumably when his previous clients cry into these jars they are freed from their emotions Mm -hmm. right so you have this idea of bottling up emotions being unhealthy for you right but here this man comes in and he does the bottling and yet this person's still free Mm -hmm. so he's taking these tears away by himself bottling them up and again he can dig into them and cry himself. So it's like he's taking people's bottled up emotions for himself. Now, that helps others. However, it doesn't quite help Prudence, right? She feels better throughout this whole process, but she doesn't let go because she wanted him to like her like that. Because again, I think this has to do with the fact she defined herself by her tears. So even though they were taken away from her, she wanted them back, mm-hmm. right? That in the end, she wanted to keep them. And that's why he asks her to let go. He doesn't say give those back because ultimately he doesn't want them for himself. Like he clearly uses them in his collection. And we've seen the fact that he does not seem to be upset at them being broken. Even though we are upset at them being broken on his behalf, he's not himself upset. And that's clearly because he's not very much attached to them. Like, he is and he also isn't. But 
the biggest problem is the fact that she's not letting go of them. He doesn't try to take them back from her. He just asks her to let them go. And it's just a sheer accident that causes her to let them go. And when that happens, when she like literally lets them go and they break, then she actually can move on. She thinks it's silly. She has to tell the man, well, there that was a jar of my tears. And she clearly finds this to be a very strange and silly thing. And she's able to move on. She's able to actually go with this man because she no longer defines herself by those tears. There's something that broke and she was able to let them go. So for her, it's a more straightforward interpretation of bottling up emotions, right? And letting them go. And letting them go. That she had all these bottled up emotions that she refused to let go. And when she finally did and her tears burst out all over the pavement, out into the world... She was finally able to move on and no longer hold that sorrow inside. And that also brings up an interesting point involving the tear collector and that him being a shoulder to cry on, he might be, you know, bottling up other people's emotions and that he himself, in theory, might be also bearing all of this misery that other people are dumping onto him Mm -hmm. in a kind of figurative way. Yeah, or even a therapeutic sense, right? Yeah. I mean, a lot of psychologists or psychotherapists do themselves need therapy because sometimes you can't shoulder everyone else's miseries alone. You have to be able to deal with it yourself. And if you can't handle that, you have to see someone else who can, right? So there are, in fact, chains of psychologists and and therapists like that. So people have their therapists and stuff. Everyone needs, like, that support. But, of course, the... The tear collector has no support. This is his particular area of expertise. And it's what he's made for. Yeah, it's what he's made for. So he presumably does not need someone else. It is his own personal, hopefully, pleasure in feeling these people's tears vicariously. So, yes, he does do that in his own free time. So we at least hope that thing brings him some sort of joy because, after all, he is doing a good thing. Mm-hmm. No matter how bizarre and strange it is he is helping people so and he's giving out a lot of money for it (laughs) yeah he's paying up the butt for it (laughs) yeah and that's another thing too this is my very last question that i have where in the heck does he get all that money i have no clue maybe he gets a lot of like government grants and he just hands them out because he doesn't like need to eat or anything. I guess a penny saves is a penny earns. <laughs> Although he seems to have a nice place. So he maybe... spends it all on the rent. And what he doesn't spend on the rent, he just hands out. But see, he seems to be spending more than he's earning. So how in the world does he have such a nice car? Is it just because he... And now, is this money, like, real? Do you think he actually makes this money? Do you think he actually works as a psychologist? Well, I don't think or... he's handing out Monopoly money. But... No. I do think he is giving out actual money. He might be working as a therapist and that's where all the money's coming from. But and see, then in turn uses that to fuel his tear collection. But see, it's bizarre because he is paying, he did pay her to go there. So I'm feeling that perhaps if he works as a therapist, he's probably paying his patients, right? So maybe because he paid her and she was making a lot of money by going to visit him and crying. Yeah, she was giving him her tears. Yeah, but that's not money. <laughs> he's not selling those tears unless Mason Verger is buying them. No, no, no. He's, he is buying the tears. Yes, but my question is, where's he getting the money? He's not making money Possibly by buying things. Possibly from his patients that are going to him for strict therapy. But see, that's what I'm sort of wondering. I don't, now that I think about it, I don't think he would. 
I th- considering who he is, I don't think he would take money to make people feel better. And I think that's the point of him giving her money, is that it is his job to make her feel better. It's his role. It's his function. I don't think he would take money from other knows. people. Maybe he's got a two-in-one system going on, you know? Get money from the, the therapy and then give money for the tear collecting. And I don't know. That's, that's kind of it. Like, he might not be charging a lot for therapy. And what little money he does get, he spends a little on Sherry See, and then a lot of it on the people. But I don't know. You know what? That's a difficult one because they don't address it. Yeah, because he's clearly supposed to be rich. Mm-hmm. I mean, he wouldn't just be giving out that much money. But who the heck knows? You know what? He's hecka hecka old. Maybe he just, like, invested in, like, Microsoft, like, right as they came out. Or, you like, know? war bonds or something. Yeah, like, Since he Microsoft could... Microsoft didn't exist at that point. He could have invested very strategically, maybe, in order to make as much money as he has. Because I kind of think that he... I don't think he works for a living, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. I think... I don't think he has time. So, yeah, I think... I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go and say he probably invested his money... Just very smartly, maybe mm-hmm. with his, I don't know, angelic superpowers. He just knows what to do. Or maybe just money comes his way. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Maybe he finds out that information from the other side and, and knows how to place bets really well. Like, the odds. <laughs> I don't think he'd be gambling. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a bad thing. <laughs> so, Valina, how many teardrops would you give this episode? Uh, it's so weird. I feel like it's such a weird episode. Like, yes, it is very weird, and I feel that adds to the charm of it. I feel like I kind of want to give it like a three and a half stars, but mm. I do like the attention to detail with the whole Cassiel thing. Like, that's very obvious, and I do like the sort of like the color themes happening, but it's also so weird. <laughs> like it. <laughs> I don't know. It's not at all a scary episode, but it feels like it has a lot of thought put into it. Yeah. Because it's like, then I think of, who do you give four stars to? Like, what is it up against? Like, I guess the Oz had four stars. Inside the Closet had four and a half. In the Cards had four. I'd say it's on par with those. Maybe. It certainly ain't worse than any of those. I guess, but I mean, the odds had bigger problems than this episode did. I guess. That was when I initially thought I was having a three and a half stars. I don't know. It's just so oddly melodramatic. Mm -hmm. I I don't know. I straight up think I'm going to just be a jerk here and give it 3.9 stars. (laughs) It's just so... You doing our boy Cassiel that dirty? It's just so... I mean, maybe I'll want to go back and give it more. I just feel real weird about it. It's just so odd. Like, I'm not sure I could give it a full four stars. I mean, like, I feel like the weird acting, like, it all fits it. But, like, I don't know. It's just so strange. Everyone is so odd. I feel like I'm going to give it a... I gotta go with 3.9. It's just so strange. I just don't know if I can put it up with the others. It's just so weird. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. It is weird. But I feel that makes it highly enjoyable. And I, for one, would highly recommend this episode. 
it is definitely worth a watch and it is definitely a fun one to watch and and even more so if you've seen the rest of the series and know what the general tone is so you know how jarring of tone this one is it feels like it's oddly abstract i don't know i think it's just the way they act like everyone is so i'm not gonna say bland but they're so i don't even know how to describe it it makes sense for the tear collector to be behaving the way he does and the girl honestly i feel like when it boils down to it it's probably the acting that gets me most hmm. and it's not necessarily the fault of the actors it's just i want to say how underwhelming they are you know what i mean like they're i mean not that the situation calls for them to be any different but like i don't, i just don't know how to describe it it just feels somewhat underwhelming you know i would actually be totally down for a remake of this story with mads mickelson as the tear collector because would... i feel like his performance in hannibal is eerily similar mm -hmm. to the tear collector they have the same manner of speech like this is exactly. like like they almost have like the same accents almost mm -hmm. you know like the tear collector is like has the same accent but just a longer distance like if he has the same what is it what accent is he supposed to have a danish is i think lithuanian i can't remember because technically speaking i think i think mads mickelson is danish but hannibal lecter is supposed to be lithuanian so i don't know i'm just gonna go danish i think mm. so valina what kind of madness can we expect in the next episode well, next episode, we have The Madness Room, which is a rather lackluster episode about this married couple and the friend who discover a letter in their house saying that there's an evil murder room somewhere on the premises. And it's, I mean, it's kind of bland. It's, it's just a whodunit, basically, but but not very exciting. So, Valina, where would you go to collect our tears? Well, if you want to collect our tears, you can go to This House Podcast on Instagram, or if you want to send us your tears, you can email us at thishousepodcast at gmail.com. Please rate and review us on iTunes. We will be able to successfully bottle our tears and sell them to thirsty gamers. That is a promise. That's all for tonight's episode. So listeners, before we sneak into the chamber of ancient sorrows and start smashing everything in sight, get out of our house. Cry, baby, cry for me. Come on, cry. <laughs>